We at Brainstaple would like to wish everyone a happy holidays. Feliz Navidad. Merry Christmas. If you happen to be home with the holidays with your family, we hope you have a great time. And if anyone in your family happens to get a brand new iPhone, a shiny new iPod, or some kind of Android device with internet connectivity. Or a Windows phone. Or an Android device. (laughs) You should take it from them. You should set up their podcast to download this very podcast. Come and take it. And I would take it one step further. And if someone is not able to play the podcast directly, download all the episodes and burn them to a CD. Yeah, burn them to a CD. What a fantastic Christmas gift. We thank you for joining us in 2013. We're excited to get close to the new year. We're going to keep making them for you. We're going to keep putting them out fresh every week. We got some great episodes coming down the pipe. Don't forget, springtime is Texas Revolution time. And just remember, if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Happy holidays. This wasn't a business venture. This was a leap of faith for these people. Howdy. You are listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share their views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. We're your hosts, Mike Zolkowski. And I'm Sean McIver. And Scott Elfstrom. What tiny Texas town has chairs from the Vatican, had a visit from the Pope, and hosted a speech by Lequilinza? Today we're telling the story of Panamaria, Texas, and how a small group of Polish citizens crossed the Atlantic Ocean and founded the first Polish colony not only in our great state, but in America. First, I'd like to ask the question, though, who's your favorite Texas astronaut? I like Dave Scott. I really like Alan Bean. And I like Ed White, the first Texan and American to walk in space. So what about Panna Maria, Mike? Most Americans think of places like Chicago, Michigan, or Ohio as the heart of Polish America. Why did the Polish settlers choose South Texas for their first colony in the New World? To answer that question, we first need to look at Poland. In the 16th and 17th century, Poland was one of the largest and most powerful countries in Central and Eastern Europe. In the 18th century, however, its monarchy and central government destabilized, and its power and prestige declined at the expense of Russia, Austria, and Prussia. By 1795, the country disappeared, partitioned between those three countries. Poles were oppressed in their homeland, and many fled and sought freedom in other countries. Upper Silesia, which is part of Poland today, had been passed between various kings and empires until Prussia, under Frederick the Great, conquered it in 1742. Now, for 20 generations, Polish peasants maintained their Roman Catholic faith in spite of the constantly shifting geopolitical landscape. In 1854, a movement started to encourage a group of Poles from Opole, Szczelcia, Tozik, Gliwica, Lublinitz, and Olesno counties in Prussian Silesia to immigrate to Texas. You asked why did this group of people from this corner of Central Europe, which has a climate and terrain similar to upstate New York, move to one of the roughest, toughest patches of South Texas? Most of these people were peasants, poor but hardworking folk. Many of them were former serfs, part of the European feudal tenant system and only a step above slaves. When serfdom finally ended in the 1820s Prussia and later in Austria and Russia, it left them with very few options. There were hard labor alternatives, but the low wages seldom earned enough to pay for food. They also faced discrimination from the wealthy German gentry who occupied and owned their land. Because of this, they could not achieve positions in the government and were social pariahs. They were forced into mandatory service in the Prussian army from the age of 20 through the age of 60, despite having no social or political stake. 
And there were also economic factors at play. The Crimean War led the Russian Empire to ban European grain exports, which spiked food prices. At the same time, a potato blight in Upper Silesia ruined the staple of Polish diet. These led to widespread famine and combined with cholera and typhus epidemics, and not to mention some extreme weather at the time, resulted in a great deal of hardship for an already poor group of people. And so along with poverty, of course, crime rises, the prisons overflowed, and the Prussian ruling class really didn't care. They, they gave no mercy to the these peasants and continued to levy the high taxes on them. And yet, despite their plight, the Polish people remain in their homeland, leaning on their faith, families, and traditions to sustain them. All of these conditions made the prospect of immigrating to America, and specifically to Texas, with its open frontier and its relative political freedom, seem like a dream to these oppressed people. And all it took was one person with a plan to make this dream a reality. And Mike, that person is related to you, isn't he? Yes, he is. That person was a Catholic priest named Leopold Muchigamba, and he's a distant uncle to me. Father Leopold Bonaventure Maria Muchigamba was born in 1824 in the tiny village of Puznica in Strelza County. In 1843, he traveled to Italy and became a Catholic priest, joining the Franciscan Order. He was ordained in 1847 and was transferred to Bavaria, but then returned to Silesia not long after to serve temporarily in his home church of Puznica. In 1852, Bishop Jean-Marie Odin of Galveston came to Europe looking for priests for missionary work in Texas. He recruited Father Muchigimba, his superior Father Keller, and two other friars to sail to Texas. There they could care for the German Catholic communities and missions in New Braunfels, Fredericksburg, Castroville, and other missions throughout Central Texas. Muchigimba would work in Texas for two years and witness firsthand the success of these colonies. And like the early German and Czech visitors to Texas, Muchigamba believed that the economic prosperity, favorable climate, and the lack of a class-based society made Texas a land of opportunity for his family and his friends back home. And he wrote letters back home telling them about this. These letters are regarded with awe. They inspired Polish Salesians to come to Texas. Now, Mike, how did they get here is the question. To get to Texas, families had to recruit immigration agents who would coordinate their passage and paperwork. Now, it's unknown how many actual Poles came on the first wave, but the estimates range anywhere from 150 to 800 people. The first group left Silesia and traveled first to Berlin and then to Bremen, where they embarked on a wooden ship named Besser for their two-month journey to Texas. A few literally missed the boat and came a few days behind on a ship named Antoinette. They traveled in steerage class, which is literally the space beneath the steering mechanism. It's enclosed and gloomy, but otherwise the Poles encountered little difficulty with the voyage. It's interesting because when I spoke to my uncle, he told me stories that he'd heard from his father, that he'd heard from his parents about the first Poles who arrived, you know, basically getting off the boat in their bare feet with very little but, you know, what they could carry on their backs and then walking all the way on these dirt roads from Indianola all the way to San Antonio or all the way from Indianola to Panamaria, depending on when they arrived. They actually arrived in Galveston first in, on December 3rd, 1854. There was nobody there to meet them. And so they wandered about and seeing strange new people and lots of different ethnicities speaking these strange alien languages. And they managed somehow, I don't know how, but they managed somehow to get transport to Indianola because Galveston's an island. So they needed to get a port on the mainland. And again, once again, they get to an Indianola and there's nobody there to meet them, to wait for them. A few of them decided to quit, and they just kind of settled in Victoria and Yorktown or in Indianola in that community. But most of them continued on, and they finally met Muchigamba in San Antonio. I don't know how he expected them to get to San Antonio 
when you know they had to come in through Galveston or Indianola. But Muchigamba had been working to prepare space for them to settle, but he was surprised that they got there so quickly. And originally, his plan was to settle them near New Braunfels or maybe near Bandera, which is a little further south. But instead, he got land in the plains southeast of San Antonio near the Cibolo River crossing in Carnes County. When the exhausted settlers arrived on Christmas Eve, and remember, they landed on December 3rd, so they've essentially been walking for a month. There was absolutely nothing ready for them. There was no shelter, no supplies, just tall grass and a few oak trees. But that night, under the largest oak tree, Father Muchigamba gave Christmas Mass, and they named the new community Panamaria, the Polish name for the Virgin Mary, a fitting way to start the Polish-American story. The settlers were pleasantly surprised by the mild winter and lack of snow. That first winter, many of them slept under trees or built simple dugout houses, which were essentially ditches with short thatch roofs over them. When he first surveyed the land, I'm sure Father Munchingamba saw a beautiful prairie at the meeting of two rivers. What he failed to notice was the other indigenous resident, rattlesnakes. This plain is one of the largest nesting grounds in Texas. With the tall grass and abundant rattlesnakes, the settlers constantly carried a staff or a hoe for protection. I bet they didn't want to hear that. That sound. (laughs) It was probably pretty surprising to Poles. Well, eventually they built houses and structures based on their native styles, you know, with high-pitched roofs and south-facing porches. Some of these European-style structures are still standing today. Now, until they could establish themselves, there was a hard adjustment for their new lives, since Texas left them far from their neighbors in a flat land with wide open spaces, very different from where they came from. But a second group arrived in 1855, and then the third and final main group arrived in 1856. After the mild first year, the settlers went through a terrible, cold, rainy spell from December 1856 through March 1857, followed by a 14-month drought. Wells dried up, crops didn't grow, and the ground itself split open with fissures a foot wide and 30 to 40 feet deep. Sounds like my front yard. Cattle roamed free, and corn prices skyrocketed. This was one of the worst droughts in Texas history. The women were forced to walk to San Antonio looking for work, while others left Panama Maria altogether. In one of his letters, Father Muchigimba wrote, Were it not for the decency of some Americans in Helena, there would be few settlers left. In fact, one of these Americans to help them was William Butler, who, yes, that William Butler, and he drove 12 head of cattle to Panama Maria when he heard about the starving Poles. And when he got there, he proclaimed, kill, eat, and be merry. And the drought ruined the economic situation in Panama Maria, and it also ruined the relationship of the community with Father Muchigamba. The people complained so forcefully that in October 1856, he fled to Castroville and left Texas shortly thereafter. Now, an interesting story from right before when he left, there were new settlers that came to Panama Maria, and he had a small hut that he had built there, and that was where he lived. And they were complaining about the hardship, and they were complaining about the snakes, and they were complaining about everything, because it was it was hard. And he was trying to reassure them and tell them of God's grace and all this wonderful stuff, when a giant rattlesnake fell through the thatch roof and under the middle of the table <laughs> and let everybody running, screaming out of his, out of his house. <laughs> Crazy. Father Muchigamba went on to serve Polish communities throughout America for the rest of his life, founding the Polish-Roman Catholic Union in America and the first Polish seminary in the U.S. in Detroit, Michigan. He finally died in Detroit in 1891 and was buried there. But in 1974, his remains were reinterred beneath the mighty oak tree where he spoke the first Polish Mass in America at Panama Maria. Even though political changes in Europe greatly slowed the Silesian migration, the community continued to grow, with Poles branching out and building more towns in the surrounding area, Kuchusko, Czestochowa, and Falls City. The Poles had little idea, though, of the next storm brewing on the horizon. And that storm, of course, was the Civil War. When it began in 1861, most of the immigrants were unaware of the secession. They hadn't lived in the state long enough to participate as voters, and almost all of them only spoke Polish. Like other immigrant communities in Texas, the Poles were either 
ambivalent or were directly opposed to secession. While there were no documented Silesian slaveholders, the primary objection involved conscription into military service. Many of the immigrants had left Poland because they wanted to avoid fighting in other people's wars. Now, many men did serve in the Confederacy as volunteers, and some of them with great distinction. Others went north to fight for the Union, like Panamaria Maria schoolteacher Peter Kielbasa, who would eventually become a captain in the 6th U.S. Colored Cavalry. And after the war, he'd moved north and became the treasurer of Chicago, earning the unironic nickname Honest Pete. Now, that's a pretty high honor for late 19th century Chicago. Or 21st century Chicago. Or any century Chicago. <laughs> pretty good. You're doing good for Chicago, Pete. Most unusually, some Poles from Texas managed to serve on both sides. Some Silesians serving in the Confederate Army were captured by the Union and placed into POW camps. As former Europeans with few ties to slavery and Southern causes, many were given the option to serve in the Union Army. Some were captured again and wound up in Confederate camps. There was a soldier named uh, Lissy, and he was a carpenter, and he fought for the Confederacy. He was captured. He was put in a POW camp, turned around, fought in the cavalry for the Union, was then captured, but had become injured in his hand. And so at, after the war, he was let go out of the camp, and he went home. But his hand had been so damaged that he had to shift from being a carpenter to becoming a trail driver. It's just bad luck to join the Confederacy, get captured. You could have just stayed at home. Instead, you wound up in a Confederate. You fought for the Confederacy, and yet you're still in a Confederate prisoner of war camp. But the interesting thing is they couldn't stay at home because there were drafts going on. A lot of these people either went north to avoid them or they moved around or hid to avoid them. They just they tried. They didn't want any involvement in what was going on because they were like, we're just here. But hey, at least I got away from the rattlesnakes for a while. Yeah. 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 Well, no, there's <laughs> they're just, pretty much all over the pretty eastern much United States. There's pretty much a rattlesnake anywhere you go. Most of the Silesians who went to war came home and found themselves once again in a volatile political situation as Texas was immersed in the Reconstruction. Now, the Civil War ended in early 1865, and for months, the administration in Texas was virtually non-existent. Law and order collapsed, and the Poles, like many others, fell victim to robbers, thieves, and murderers. In 1867, new elections were ordered with only Union supporters and African Americans voting. White Southerners resented this, and post-Civil War problems affected all the Silesian communities in the state, particularly as they were viewed as Unionist scallywags. In the summer of 1868, violence flared up in Carnes County between the Poles and their neighbors. A group of Americans beat two Poles who were filling out their naturalization papers. The life of the Polish registrar was threatened, as well as the newly registered voters. They lodged complaints and requested protection. In the end, the county sheriff was arrested for his part in these beatings. But the provocation didn't end. Cowboys rode into Panamaria, shooting at the cottages, chasing and roping Polish children, and shooting at the feet of anyone that they met. They rode their horses into the church during Mass and did obscene and blasphemous things, probably. Uninvited Americans always showed up armed at Silesian at weddings and parties, where they harassed and played pranks on the farmers without mercy. A group of men on horseback rode up to a young Polish girl who was milking the family cow. They drew their guns and threatened to kill her on the spot and then decided to shoot the cow instead. They knew the authorities would do nothing to stop them. This is pretty bad because, like, the cows is a source of a lot of food and material for these farmers, and they're poor. Well, I'd be mad if you... Rode, a, rode into my house on your horse and shot up my refrigerator. <laughs> exactly. I, I would be mad if someone rode into my house and shot up my laptop. I'd that's be how mad I, if someone rode into my house. That's how I feed my family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And it just goes back to the fact that these people just want to be left alone. They just want to be left alone. Now, on Easter Sunday in 1869, 80 armed cowboys waited outside the church in Panama Maria attempting to provoke a fight. They made fun of men's wives and children. One of the outlaws aimed a shotgun at a group of women and pulled the trigger. Whether it was due to bad ammunition or just divine intervention, the gun did not fire. But then, shooting over the heads of the frightened women, they rode away in a cloud of dust. The men of Panama Maria grabbed their weapons and gathered in the schoolhouse to defend their town. So, 15 minutes later, when the cowboys returned to the newly armed town, they beat a quick retreat. The priests and the bishop eventually sought direct help from the military. When advised help would come within the month, the priests replied, In a month, we'll all be dead. A few days later, the U.S. Army came to Carnes County, establishing a garrison to clean up the lawlessness. The troops protected the church at Mass, guarded townsfolk during elections, and oversaw naturalization. Shortly thereafter, the open violence subsided. Years later, the railroad's arrival in Carnes County would prove to be the death knell for many of the county's once thriving communities, including Panna Maria. But Panna Maria, while sparsely populated, continues to be a cultural landmark. The church is still in existence, and the Silesians and Texans continue to maintain and support their history. Today, you can visit towns like Panna Maria, Kosciusko, Chestahova, and Falls City and meet the descendants of these early settlers. Pope John Paul II, a fellow Pole, sent Panna Maria chairs from the Vatican and even visited the community once while in Texas. Similarly, Lequilenza, the famous Polish revolutionary, visited and spoke of the town many years ago. One of the things that I think is great about this story is that it shows how hard the Polish people worked to become a part of Texas. They endured a lot of hardship, but just like they stuck together with their religion and their traditions in the old country, they maintain those connections here in Texas. I love the fact that of all the different immigration influences in Texas, obviously the Mexican and Spanish influence is really strong. But next to that is the influence of Eastern European immigrants, the Polish and the Czechs and the German, who are all very strong in Texas. The experience of the Poles in some ways is, is very similar to the experience of the Germans and the Czechs. But it's a little unique in that what I really strikes me about this is the role that the Catholic faith of these people plays in this story. It was a Catholic priest who came to Texas and sent back letters. They were brought here by a Catholic priest. They, the first thing they did was say a mass and they built a church. And then it was later during this period of violence against them, it was the priests that stepped in and went to the uh, went to the army and intervened and said, we need help. We need the assistance. So I think that that this really touching and 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 moving that the that the role of the faith of the Catholic faith plays such a role as as compared to some of the other things where there were, it, this wasn't a business venture this was a leap of faith for these people to come to Texas and I think that's what's really impresses me about this story as you all understand for me this is a very personal story uh, my great grandmother was a Muchigamba I have a great grandmother who's a Fogel there's a lot of family roots that trace back to this this route to Texas and this is my story of how my family got here to Texas. The Polish are a stubborn, tough people who've suffered greatly through the years and in both political and, you know, in Europe and then here. And we're still enduring. The culture and the people still endure. And I think that's a, a fair assessment. I think there's an interesting quote that I found researching this. It can be best said as one cowboy, when he first rode upon these strange people living in dugout shacks near the Cibolo Creek, not long after they'd arrived on the boats, he said, These folks that couldn't understand what we said to them. They might have come from the moon or the stars for what we knew or could find out. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at 
Texas podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. And I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs>